0: All right, let's take our Bibles, turn to Revelation chapter 13. Revelation chapter 13, as you are turning there, we're in this section of Revelation and our study of the end times that's, that's still in between the trumpet judgments and the bowl judgments, though at this point, the, the trumpet has sounded, uh, but, but nothing has, has yet happened. And so, uh, that's going to come in chapter 16. And so what we have is kind of this this series of teachings that fleshes out, in real quick terms, chapter 12, laid out a bit of world history. I, I mean, as brief world history as you can imagine, but kind of gave us this this, I would say, divine, supernatural perspective on how things have been operating. And then as we get to chapters 13 and 14 and then 15... It's, it's still not yet the bold judgments being re- unleashed. Instead, we're getting a little bit more background information, but some of it is foreshadowing. I know that seems a little confusing, and this is kind of part and parcel, to studying the book of Revelation. It's kind of hard to peg down the when and the where of things that are going on. So we, we walked our way through chapter 12 last week and then jumped into chapter 13 and I'll go ahead and set it up again, and we'll, we'll walk through this a little more carefully. But then I also want to see if there's any leftover questions from, from last week. So as we left chapter 12, we, we left it with this, uh, this statement about the dragon, right? Satan, who has been engaged in intentional warfare against God's people. It started off uh, trying to thwart the coming of the Messiah. And that was not successful. And so his rage then turned on the nation of Israel. And then we see, we, we saw that uh, there was another war that broke out in heaven. Satan then was exiled in total from the presence of God, from having God's ear in any form. And this is speaking then about the end times. When we get to verse 7, I think then this is speaking about the end of time. So the, the, the dragon, Satan, is the serpent, is cast down to the earth, and then his wrath is expressed. So he turns his wrath with a certain kind of intensity that he'd not expressed to this point, especially going after the people of God. I do think there is then a promise here, that God will provide an element of protection for His people until the time is done, and specifically for Israel. So that, that, that's, that was the bulk of last week. We did jump into chapter 13, but before we kind of go back and, and look at that, get our you know, get going with, our, with a running start, so to speak, are there questions left over from last week? One thing, by the way, I'm going to try and do a better job of, maybe you can remind me, I, I've gotten a couple of phone calls from folks who are only able to watch us online on Sunday nights. Usually it's related to either a health-related issue or um, don't, don't feel like they can drive at night. They have asked me to repeat the questions that you ask. Uh, and uh, I mean, I try and do that for the group, sort of, but apparently it's not a full repetition. So, uh, I, will, I will try and do that, because they can't hear you, all right? When you speak, they cannot hear uh, anything you say, but they hear me answer, uh, which apparently feels a bit like a game show, all right? Uh, like, a, like a Jeopardy style, right? What was the question? Okay, so we'll try and help them out if, uh, if we get questions tonight. All right, let's turn again then to chapter 13. We launched into it last week but uh, felt, felt like there was a, a bit of um, haste in discussing it. When we get to chapter 13, we are, we are now fully located in the tribulation period. So if you're looking at the timing of things, this is describing circumstances in the last seven-year period before the return of Christ. All right, So this is happening during the period of tribulation. And I just want to emphasize something again. Chapter 13, verse 1 Then I stood on the sand of the sea. I I, I, I don't think that's the right translation. I think it should say, then he stood on the sand of the sea. It wouldn't make much sense for John to be standing on the sand of the sea. Instead, I think this is a reference to the dragon. Contextually, that makes the most sense. All of chapter 12 has been telling me about this dragon. The dragon did this, the dragon did that. Uh, verse 13, now when the dragon saw, verse 17, and the dragon was enraged, then he stood on the sand of the sea. All right. So I think it's talking about the dragon. And then John says, and I saw a beast rising up out of the sea, having seven heads and ten horns, and on his horns ten crowns, and on his heads a blasphemous name. So this is a reference to the Antichrist one that I believe will be empowered by Satan, to say that he is rising up out of the sea, I would argue means this is a man. Sea is often a reference for humanity symbolically. I mean, it stands kind of as that, to come up out of the sea. I would contend means that, so this is, this is a man. He's not a demon, all right? He's not a supernatural being, though he is going to be... Uh, empowered by supernatural power. I believe the devil will give him power. So this is the Antichrist. That language there of having seven heads, ten horns on the ten horns, having crowns on his heads, having a blasphemous name. So, so, so this is where I, I take a little bit of a distinction from some who would follow the similar kind of timeline I, I lay out. Some really get into the weeds of all of the symbolism. We've got to figure out what the seven means. We've got to figure out what the ten means. I, I, I would argue at this point, this is describing the Antichrist, but I don't know that we've got enough material to really lay out the exactly the physical, literal, earthly reference to the seven and to the ten. Instead, I think these numbers are simply depicting one of great power and authority and that power and authority extending over all other human power and authority. So I I think that's the purpose of this language. That the Antichrist will not only be empowered by Satan, part of that power, he will have authority over the world. It's given to him, right? It's It's not of his own making, but he will have power. But we recognize he is also, he's got a blasphemous name. So... This is, um, this is clearly then a false Christ. So verse 2, Now the beast which I saw was like a leopard, and his feet were like the feet of a bear, and his mouth like the mouth of a lion. The dragon gave him his power, his throne, and great authority. Again, those references there, some see in them references to ancient empires, uh, you know, variously representing empires such as the Greeks, uh, the Persians and the Romans, and, and there, there could be something to that. Though, again, I think the emphasis is that the Antichrist will occupy a position of power and influence that, that, that kind of includes and then extends all of the powers the world has ever known. I think that's what it's getting at. He, he's, he's, he's going to have power like the Persians, like the Greeks like the Romans, except far greater, far more extensive. All right, and this power then is given to him by Satan. And then it says, And I saw one of his heads as if it had been mortally wounded, and his deadly wound was healed, and all the world marveled and followed the beast. So I think this is describing, at some point in the tribulation, it will appear as if the Antichrist dies. Some argue that he really does. Some argue that it only appears. I'm more comfortable with the second. That it appears as if he received a mortal wound. In other words, here's what the Antichrist is going to do. He's going to do like what Jesus did, right? Meaning he's going to try and mimic what Christ did. Keep in mind, he is an Antichrist. This doesn't necessarily mean opposite of... It means instead of. And so the Antichrist is going to try and demonstrate the power and ability that Jesus did. So it's going to look like he died, and it's going to look like he rose from the dead. So, he's going to... Long before there was fake news, John was warning us, this is coming. All right? This is coming. There's going to be those in positions of power. They're going to want to tell a story to you. And this is what he's going to do. So all the world is going to marvel to such a degree in verse 4. So they worshiped the dragon who gave authority to the beast, and they worshiped the beast, saying, Who is like the beast who is able to make war with him? Is this not absolutely stunning? How often have we gone through Revelation thus far, and in seeing the wrath of God in seeing God display His divinity and His power and His greatness and His holiness and His wrath, what was man's response to it? To rebel, shake the fist, to be in anger, to continue in their sin, to reject God and His authority, right? But as soon as some knucklehead pretends to die and rise from the dead, they're all in. This is just a reminder to us People are willing to worship anything and everything but God Himself. And and Satan is is all too eager to encourage people to worship, as long as they're not worshiping the one true God according to the way the Word says. You, You do know God would love... I mean, Satan would love nothing more than for people in this world to be good parents, good spouses faithful Buddhists, committed Hindus, or following any other kind of weird new age, even if it's moral and good in, a lot, in, the, in the way society considers it, Satan be all too happy with people just living the rest of their lives that way. He absolutely would. So this is what they're going to do. They're going to worship Him. And notice that language, who is like the beast. Does that sound like anything else? Can you think about the Psalms where the psalmist declares, Who is like you, O God? Who can make war against you? Right? Straight out of the Psalms. Except a perversion of it, right? Directed at the beast. And then it says in verse 5, And he was given a mouth, speaking great things and blasphemies, and he was given authority to continue for forty-two months." I think that's a reference to the last three and a half years of the tribulation. All right, so this is the second half of it. Then he opened his mouth in blasphemy against God to blaspheme his name, his tabernacle, and those who dwell in heaven. It was granted to him to make war with the saints and to overcome them, and authority was given him over every tribe, tongue, and nation. So here's what happens. We know at the midway point of the tribulation that the Antichrist is going to set himself up as God to be worshiped. And those who would not worship him will be the objects of his wrath. He'll blaspheme then. Only one thing, by the way, the only thing he will blaspheme is God, his tabernacle, and his people. Meaning meaning God, the true worship of God, and the true followers of God. And this is who he's going to go after. Now, I want you to notice the specific language. The way it puts this, it was granted to him. What does that tell you? It's not his own authority, right? Yeah, it was given to him. It was given to him. So this this is not something that is of, of his own making. It was granted to him that he could make war with saints and overcome them. So he's going to be able to martyr people. That's what's going to happen. And he's given authority over every tribe, tongue, and nation. So almost, again, like a perversion of the gospel, right? That the gospel is to be going to every tribe, tongue, and nation. But what he's going to do is to take his blasphemy and his violence against every tribe, tongue, and nation, and then it says in verse 8 all who dwell on the earth will worship him whose names have not been written in the book of life of the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. So it's very clearly then setting up here at the end they're going to you know the the groups are going to are going to form the lines are going to be clearly created here because of the wrath of the antichrist. It, it, it's going to be the dividing mark. You're either going to be in or out, right? And those who are in the book of life, which is a way, of course, of saying those who are believers in Christ are going to be the only ones who refuse to worship this false Christ. So, so the, the, those, those are the ones that will be the object, the greatest object of His wrath. And so it says, if anyone has an ear, let him hear. He who leads into captivity shall go into captivity. He who kills with the sword must be killed with the sword. Here is the patience and the faith of the saints. So understand, so it's, it's almost like a, like a foreshadowing then to us or a reminder to us that, that there's judgment coming for him. All right, that, that's, that's the language. There's going to be judgment coming for him. So to the saints, be faithful and be patient. So, so chapter 13 opens by giving us this description of the Antichrist. Before we move on then to the description of the false prophet, you could also describe him as the anti-Holy Spirit, I think, because that's how he functions. More about that in just a minute. Questions about the Antichrist, about these first however many verses we did, 10. Ten verses. <clears throat> Again, I think it's going to be a real human being, and he's. Yes, going to have power given to him by Satan. Cody. Um, given that most of Israel still does not believe in Messiah, and therefore he hasn't become all, are they going to believe that this then is the Messiah, at least for the... Being... Yeah, so the question is about how the Jews will respond to the Antichrist. That's a good question. Um, I don't know that I've got a solid good answer for that. Not really being able to point to chapter and verse that would say one way or the other. um, I didn't do it. All right, so what Cody was asking, all right, um, for our folks online, bless you. Just be patient with your pastor, okay? It's the end of Sunday. So what Cody was asking, the question was when it comes to the Jews, so we know that the majority of Jews are unbelievers at this point. They're still waiting on a Messiah to come. And so at the end of time, will many of those Jews follow the Antichrist, perhaps assuming he is the Messiah to come. You know, it, it, Revelation does seem to give us evidence that, that many of the Jews, at least, will reject him as well uh, and will then be protected by God. They will flee into the desert, as chapter 12 had indicated. Uh, so there will be some measure of protection, I believe, given to them. But I don't see any reason to say that there, there couldn't be those who will apostasize in essence, who will turn uh, from from any hope of, of hearing the gospel and and turn to the false antichrist. Good question. Michael? Also, if I'm understanding you correctly, you're saying that all of this will transpire, at least the severity of identifying himself as one to be worshipped at the midpoint of the tribulation the abomination of desolation so I guess my question is early on do you still see the Antichrist looking, being viewed more as a collegial figure one that's going to kind of rally people around him but not really show his true colors until the second half of that seven year period? is that okay. you know, what I'm getting from you alright so Michael's asked the question uh, What may, maybe it could be asked this way how will the Antichrist be perceived in the first three and a half years? We know in the second three and a half years, uh, he's going to show himself for who he really is, Uh, believing himself to be a Messiah, to be Christ, uh, worthy of worship and adoration, he himself being God, and then we'll see uh, just uh, perhaps no no more um, hiding of his true identity and intents and purposes. He, He will... Um, he will go after believers, um, he will persecute any who would resist him. the first three and a half years though i, I would I would say yes, he is viewed perhaps more um, collegially maybe even viewed with you know with messianic kind of language as being a man of peace uh, I, I think he is he is going to be a slick operator, all right um, I think he is going to be able to. Uh, bring a lot of people together uh, who otherwise at least now at this point are not I, I think um, and, and so I think he will be listened to I think he's still uh, I think even then he is described as one you know who's given authority and I think that would include his ability to communicate so I think he is going to have the ear of the masses and the ear of the people in power Uh Though there's no doubt that there will still be a willingness to instigate violence towards believers, even in the first three and a half years, because we know there are martyrs, uh, and so we know there's going to be persecution. Um, but but no, I, I think you're right. I think he will be viewed um, perhaps differently in those first three and a half years. Uh and would be, um, you know, at that point, I think probably what will happen, there'll be a lot of folks who will, in fact, be turning to him in those first three and a half years and find themselves in so deep, it's a done deal. Allied to the point of no... That's right. Yeah, that's right. Yes, Sally. Okay, all right, all right, yeah, so Sally bringing up that, that emphasis in verse 8, and I think what's helpful about how you put that, that would be the intent of something like that. I mean, these, these little nuggets throughout Revelation that God's people are to hold on to, and she is specifically mentioning this language of those um, whose names have been written in the Lamb's Book of Life, uh, and this, this going back to the foundation of the world, that we recognize all of these events and circumstances these are a done deal. That's right. Uh, that, that getting getting wrapped up maybe in some of these looking for signs and trying to, you know, um, read it in the magic eight ball, so to speak, right? Trying to figure out how these things are going. I, I mean, yes, rapture, before, after, not, whatever these things are, uh, we, we can trust that God in His sovereignty uh, has orchestrated these events and will bring them to His designed end. So That's good. Thank you. Bill? The last three and a half years, will there be anybody left that will be part of the election? The, I, there, there, will, there will be those who are still believers in the last three and a half years who will be the object of persecution. Will there be anybody converted to Christ in the last three and a half years? I, I don't see any reason why they couldn't be. Yes. So the question is, in the last three and a half years, will there still be um, uh, people converting, becoming Christians, um, being, being redeemed? I, I would contend yes. Yes. I think there's still... At least I don't see any reason why, why they, they wouldn't be. Now, I, I know this can get us into the weeds, and I don't intend for it to, but I do, maybe even picking up on, on what Sally said, I, I would contend that the names in the Lamb's book of life have been written. And I believe there'll be people saved tomorrow. But I do believe the names have also been written. And, and I, know, I know that deals with a whole separate issue, right? Uh, but you've heard me preach on this before, and uh, I know there'd be folks who maybe have a disagreement with how I view some of these things. But it does—it does say the name; those that have that have not been written in the book of life. I mean, it is speaking as if it is a book that has been written already. So. Uh, And that's a discussion I'd be glad to have in another context, all right? Uh, I'm not scared of that conversation. I've had it, uh, you know, with with folks. I've even taught on it. Um, I spent an entire year to preach through Romans 9 through 11. I really don't know what else to say about it, uh, but I have done that, all right? Well, really, then a year before that in chapter 8. Okay, Sam. Yeah. And now he's heralded as the new leader of the free world. This is the man who we need to lift up and do everything else. How easily people, like sheep, grow astray and will jump on it. So it's easy to see how this will actually occur. We're watching it—the the, the beginnings of it. Yeah. Yeah. So Sam brings up an interesting point. You know how 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 easy it is for people to. Uh, cling to an individual who can inspire and uh, maybe um, create create a you know coalesce people around him and uh, you know and, and encourage that kind of devotion. Of course, we see it with the president of Ukraine, uh, Zelensky, and he's right. You know, this is a name that perhaps uh, many folks in the United States would not have known. Maybe probably would have assumed it's, you know, a hockey player, right? Or something like that. You know, I don't know who this guy is, but now all of a sudden, yes, he's, he is being, being heralded as a champion of uh, peace-loving people uh, throughout the world. So, so it does show how quickly, especially in the age that we are in, meaning where information travels in a less than a second, less than a second, uh, and so we can have access to these things. And, um, and so, the, you know, these things can happen, and they can happen quickly. It's true. Good. All right, let's move on then in chapter 13. Let's now, let's now go to, to verse 11, because here's what chapter 13 is, is laying out. It, 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 the focus is really on the Antichrist, empowered by the dragon, right, Satan. But then there's another character that gets brought into the picture because it's and how do i know that well it says in verse 11 then i saw another beast all right so my context clues tell me all right i'm a train i'm trained in the bible and theology this tells me this is somebody else all right okay yeah so obviously a little sass there but that you you can tell from this we are talking about somebody else i saw another beast coming up out of the earth. And I would contend this, this, is, this continues to show language. This is a human. So to talk about coming out of the sea, coming out of the earth, this is, this is coming out of that which God had created, okay? Some identify this then also with the abyss, meaning another one empowered by demonic power. You can see how he's described. He had two horns like a lamb and spoke like a dragon. He's not as big a deal as the other beast, right? Because the other beast had a a bunch of heads and horns and crowns. This guy just has two, okay? So he just has two horns like a lamb. Interesting imagery, right? But he speaks like a dragon. So the, the language he's using is demonic or satanic language. And it says in verse 12, and he exercises all the authority of the first beast in his presence, causes the earth and those who dwell in it to worship the first beast whose deadly wound was healed. Again, I don't don't contend that means he actually died, but that his wound was a potentially deadly one. He performs great signs so that he even makes fire come down from heaven on the earth in the sight of men. So this this guy is identified, and and typically the way he's identified is as the false prophet, as a false prophet. One who then is a spokesman of a sort, Um, not not that the Antichrist doesn't do his own speaking and and cajoling and um, motivating, but that the false prophet comes alongside to add further heft. Uh, validity to the message of the first beast because he's given the same kind of power and authority. And and I would contend that means he's got got power to persecute, he's got power to deceive, he's, he's got all of these same kinds of things, including the ability to call fire down from heaven. Now, where was the last time we saw fire being called down from heaven in Revelation? Well, in the book of Revelation... Okay, the two witnesses. No, you're right. I mean, you're right. Yes, Elijah. But the two wit- in the book of Revelation, the two witnesses had the power to do that, right? So you can really see this thing set up kind of like Moses and the magicians of Egypt. So Moses did, did a thing and the Egyptian um, magicians did a thing. So something similar. He is given power to call down fire from heaven. So there are signs associated with him so that then he is able, in verse 14, and he deceives those who dwell on the earth by those signs, which he was granted to do in the sight of the beast, telling those who dwell on the earth to make an image to the beast who was wounded by the sword and lived. He was granted power to give breath to the image of the beast, that the image of the beast should both speak and cause as many as would not worship the image of the beast to be killed." and causes all, both small and great, rich, poor, free, and slave, to receive a mark on their right hand or on their foreheads. And that no one may buy or sell except one who has the mark or the name of the beast or the number of his name. Here is wisdom. Let him who has understanding calculate the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man. His number is 666. By the way, it's interesting, any time anyone ever mentions the number, and I just did it, it's always read like that, isn't it? It's almost never read as 666, right? It's, all, it's almost always read, and I, and I think there's a reason for that. We'll get to it in just a minute. It's almost, there's a reason 666. Instead of saying, and his number is 666, that doesn't have the same oomph, does it, right? That's not as dramatic to say 666, though. Ooh, that makes us think of all kinds of evil and playing rock and roll music backwards. And, you know, I mean, all, all kinds of really bad things that come with it. Yeah, is that, is that the influence of, of movies, perhaps? Uh, though I think there may be a reason, I'll suggest, um, in, in, in just a moment. So, we have this false prophet who is then given this power, and specifically that power is directed at encouraging the worship of the beast, along with erecting a, an, an image of the beast, this image also given some kind of life of a sort. So we see this really bizarre kind of supernatural work being done, so that you know, people have to worship the beast or they die. This, by the way, does this sound like any other biblical story? Nebuchadnezzar. Okay, Nebuchadnezzar, yeah. Yeah, so it's something similar to that. So we definitely see John uh, or God by His Spirit, you know, bring, leading John to, to bring in a lot of Old Testament imagery here. And, and I think this, you know, this is some, somewhat similar. So those who refuse to worship the beast, the image of the beast, they are killed. It's interesting then that verse 16 identifies small, great, rich, poor, free, slave. Because that language is also used to describe what? The gospel, right? That the, the gospel is available to all, right? Uh, free or slave, male, female, Jew, Gentile, and we would then say rich, poor, your position doesn't matter. So it's interesting we have this false gospel being, being presented uh, and so he he even has power over these that they would receive the mark on their right hand or their forehead. They'll be unable to engage in any kind of, um, of you know, quality of life activity. I guess you would say to sum it all up, if if they don't have this mark on them. Now, clearly at this point, chapter thirteen is is kind of contrasting what the beast and the false prophet do compared to what God did. We've already seen people being marked, right? God's people got marked. They got marked on the forehead. We saw that way back, like in chapter 7, somewhere around in there, where, where the, the people of God, believers, get their foreheads marked. So this is then being perverted also, a way to mark those uh, who are following the beast. Now this reference here to the number... 666, 666. All right. First of all, I would be really careful making more of this than we should. We have a radically small amount of material, all right, on this. But but whenever these numbers show up, boy, people can go in really crazy directions. I I will never forget, I was in high school, this is unrelated but kind of, I was in high school working at Piggy's Barbecue, Tullahoma, Tennessee, All right, uh, otherwise known as Real Barbecue. Alright, so I was working there, some of you understand the reference, okay, I was working there in high school and working with a lady uh, who kind of tend, well she didn't tend toward like Pentecostalism and Charismatic, I mean she's all into it uh, and would often speak very spiritually. She had been... To the, to the gas station, went in to buy like a drink and snacks, and the amount was $6.66. And she told me, just as serious as she could be, I left it there and walked out. And I thought, well, that's a shame, because sun uh, sundrop and a Snickers sounded really good. All right, uh, so can I go get it? Did you pay for it, or did you just leave it? So people get really weird about this number. I think the reference to, the number six is man's number. Because he was created when? Okay, on the sixth day. We know then that seven is associated with God and his perfection, right? Completion. Completion. So what what did six represent? In many ways, six doesn't necessarily represent something bad in and of itself. It's just man's number. It's the day on which he was created. What, what matters here is that's less than seven, no matter how many of them you put together. Right? And, and we know that when something's repeated three times, that's often... For emphasis. I, I wouldn't look for any, you know, deep mystical deciphering of any code. I think the fact that it's 666, which is why it, I, I think maybe one reason why it's read that way, because this, this rep- repetition of the number is just a way to emphasize it as being never God. Never the God in His completion and perfection. In in other words, I would say the reason this matters, what is the Antichrist making them do? The Antichrist is making them stamp on themselves their commitment to the divinity, though a warped divinity, of humanity. That's what this represents. That man is the center of the universe. That man is the one who... Determines his course in life. That man is the end of all things. That 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 man, man in and of himself, can worship himself. That man is the one to be worshipped. It is a rejection then of seven, right? It is a rejection then of the perfection, completion, divinity of God. It's a perversion of what God has established. And so that's why that's why I think this number matters. And maybe even the way we always say it is six, six, six. Now, does this literally mean that people are going to go around with a with a hot iron fashioned in 666 and you know on your forehead or on your arm Um, you know there have been various ways this has been conceived microchips under the skin of course you know over the last couple years there's been a lot said uh, you know about the vaccine which just let me say all right regardless of how you feel about the vaccine I'm telling you right now it's not the mark of the beast okay it's not the mark it's not this okay so it's not this Um, so don't worry it's not this no People will say, well, what will the mark of the beast be? I think you'll know it when you see it. I know that's not necessarily a helpful answer, but I'll just, I'll tell you that it will be very clear. It'll be a way to identify you as having rejected the one true God. It'll be a way of identifying you as not having the seal of God upon you. What will that look like? It'll be a card in the wallet? I, I don't know. It'll be something they scanned that was out was a barcode imprinted uh, underneath the skin. I, you know, there could be all kinds of bizarre sci-fi ways this can be conceived. I don't know that's helpful because I don't know that's the intent of the text. The text is pushing this contrast. And this is what Revelation is doing, by the way. Pushing this contrast between God's people and not God's people. What God does for his people and what God does for not his people. What happens to those who follow the one true God, believe the gospel, and are willing to pay the ultimate price for it, and those who follow after their own hearts or follow after man? Judgment is coming. And you're going to identify yourself in full the the decision you've made. So, especially as we get to this last three and a half years, we really have this narrowing down of the, the lines. There's clarity here, there's two groups. There, there, there are the followers, and then there's everybody else. And everybody else is going to receive the mark. Now, I, I know this brings us to 7 o'clock. I do want to make a comment. Maybe I'll see if there's one or two questions. All right. Uh, and then we can pick it up next week. It is interesting to me, if you, if you put chapters 12 and 13 together, the work of the dragon, the work of the Antichrist, and the work of the false prophet, what does that sound like? An unholy trinity, right? That can't be a coincidence. An unholy trinity. uh, A way of mimicking the work of Father, Son, Spirit. Authority of the Father, saving work of the Son, and then the work of the Spirit to lead people unto Christ because that's the purpose of the spirit right that's that's Jesus makes that clear that is his work to lead to convict of sin convince of the truth and engage in the work of redemption reconciliation sanctification bringing then the gospel to bear on the lives of people this is what the spirit does the false prophet then is going to do that in a, a a perversion of that right so All right, so chapter 13, uh, got through it. Once again, did a whole chapter in one night. And uh, again, all of this happening at the last three and a half years primarily. uh, And then chapter 14, John will give us now another contrast. He's then going to take us from this. In fact, did you you already close your Bibles? Okay, I I meant to point this out. I just love the transition, especially when you read all of this in a flow instead of just digging down, you miss this. So John saw the dragon rising up. He then saw the dragon standing on the sea. But then chapter 14 opens and says, Then I looked, and behold, a lamb standing on Mount Zion. Don't you love that? That, that transition away from dragon and beast and second beast coming up out of the earth coming up out of the sea, and then we have this picture of the lamb perched atop Mount Zion. That's profound, right? What a beautiful image that we'll get to next week. All right, one question. I will field one question. It's 7.04. I'll field one, or you can just wait till next week. You've got to write them down because I won't remember, all right? But if you want to, we can kick it back off next week with your questions. Can you do what? Leave with a question. You can leave with a question. Does that mean I don't have to answer it? Is that what you're saying? Okay, all right. Ask away. Okay, so Ray has asked the question: what is the purpose of the Holy Spirit in the tribulation and then after? Is that in the tribulation period that we're talking about, or then in eternity forever? After, eternity and after all of this has occurred. Okay. Okay, what, what will be the function of the Holy Spirit when there's no longer anybody to convict of sin, convince of the gospel, and sanctify them in Christ's That is a great question. And, and one, if I can, if you can let me reserve that for when we end all of this talking about heaven, because that'll fit in perfectly, but it's a good question, all right? Okay. All right, that's a good one to leave with. You all discuss that then, because it'll be, it'll be a while before we get to it. But we will, all right? I promise we will. Don't let me forget it, but, I, but that will. that's a great question. All right, let's pray. Father God, thank you again for the gathering of your people, privileged on this Lord's Day to be together with brothers and sisters in Christ, grateful for your saving work on our behalf, a guaranteed work in Christ. And we thank you that as we enter in this week, we do so in confidence and knowing that you and your goodness Uh, love us and guide us. You convict us and encourage us. So, Father, may we enter into this week then in faith, trusting you. Guide our steps. May we live faithfully. May we be used by you and for your glory. That's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.